You are now listening to the June 15th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Walking Our Talk, Grace Upon Grace, and it's time to pray the Bible. First, let's begin with Walking Our Talk. Welcome to Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller. In this podcast series, Alan and I will discuss material adapted from our book, The Marital Mystery Tour. Join us as we share practical steps to put into action God's principles from His Word, one step at a time. So welcome to Walking Our Talk. This is Alan Heller, and I got Polly here. Hello. It's really nice to be able to do this together. We used to do a radio program called Better Together with Tom Brown, and that was really fun. Today we're going to be, we've been talking about communication in marriage because we're talking about the Marital Mystery Tour book, and uh, feel free to go to our website, walkandtalk.org, O-R-G, and pick one up. Uh, we talk about comradeship, needing to be friends before we're lovers as well as lovers, and commitment. There are no back doors in our relationship. And then the next one is communication, and that's what we've been sort of camping on the past couple of times. And we talked about closing the loop. How do I make sure what I said is what you got? And then we talked about um, the communistar. And that's a, I call it a relational hat rack to put your emotions, your thoughts, your wants. And, you know, if you have any questions, feel free to email me at alan, A-L-A-N, at walkandtalk, W-A-L-K-A-N-D-T-A-L-K dot org. I also want to say that the Marital Mystery Tour book is available on Amazon.com. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And we made an audio version of it that's available on Audible.com. That's very important information. Yes. So, uh, and it actually has three different readers, Pauly, Tom Brown, and our friend Pam Fisher, and it's uh, just a wonderful story as well as practical information with key turning questions <laughs> at the end of each chapter. And practical we only give two, two or three of them uh, because I know men wouldn't want to have any more. So um, today we're talking about valuing. So, Polly, what is so important about valuing? And we say in the workshop, this isn't really a skill as much as an attitude. That's right, Alan. Valuing is implied in a lot of our communication with one another. And or devaluing, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. And it's one of the things that people react to if they feel that they are being shamed or blamed for something, they can react and shut down and close themselves off or react or lash out, become aggressive and defensive. And it's all because of that idea of not feeling valued. 
when when I hear you raise your voice at me, I don't feel valued. If I hear you getting sarcastic with me, I, I don't feel valued. It's important to me to hear affirming words, words of encouragement, um, positive words, so <laughs> that I know that you're hearing what I say and you're accepting what I'm saying. Right. And I think the key that we'll talk about here is how do I value you when I don't agree with a certain topic or issue that we're talking about that we draw this diagram with you have two people at opposite ends of a piece of paper and they're, the issue is in the middle and they start to talk about the issue but then they hit each other. And so um, – our desire is to get you both on the same side and aim toward the issue. And uh, the the scripture that I'd like to read that sort of encapsulates this is Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. And another verse says, honestly. Right. But, and, you know, I think, too, about uh, John three sixteen that God valued us so much. The love that he has for us values us so much that he sent his only son. He made the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we could have eternal life. Well, and so the New Living says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you, so this is Paul talking in Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 3, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. And um, the important thing is, and Philippians tells us that we are to think of others as more important than ourselves, but it doesn't say don't think of yourself. I mean, uh, all of us think very highly of ourselves. <laughs> so we usually take care of that. But the issue is Jesus came as a servant. He came to wash feet. He came to seek and save those which are lost, and he served them uh, rather than being served. And that's the way we want to. We used to have a pastor who would say, you can come into a room and go, here I am, God's gift to you. <laughs> or you can come into the room and say, here I am, what can I do for you? How may I serve you? I think it's Chick-fil-A that has that, uh, they've coined that phrase, how may I serve you? Well, That's a lot better. I'd rather buy their chicken. <laughs> <laughs> the... Um the way that this relates to our communication, we're not just oh right, we're not a, talking about a chicken, Bible, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a Bible lesson or a commercial for Chick Fil A. Well, we want some Bible in here. <laughs> we we're basing our walk and talk on that, right? But I can't get into an argument with you and say to you, "You're supposed to be thinking more highly of me than you're thinking about yourself." This is an underlying philosophy of life, which is the way that I should be living my life before I even <laughs> open my mouth oh, to really? communicate with you hmm. about things that are going on. And so it's important when I am communicating with you that I take a valuing stance. And when I am valuing, I am 
in touch with myself and my entire communistar. So I need to value myself in terms of all the things that we have talked about so far regarding um, my awareness of what is going on in my thoughts and my feelings and my intentions and expectations. But ultimately, I mean, the reason why I need to value myself is because God valued me. Well, but that's it just, true. But, but it's, not, it's not me being wrapped up in myself. It's me being wrapped up in Christ. And so when I think of, again, I go back to 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, I mean, that's pretty inclusive. And if I had such uh, faith that I could remove mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor, I mean, that's a pretty big thing, and even sacrificed my body, if I were a martyr, I could boast about, but I didn't love others, uh, I would gain nothing. Love is patient, kind, it's not jealous, it's not boastful, it's not rude. You know, somebody said, put your name in there. Alan is patient and kind. Alan is not jealous and boastful and proud and rude. Alan does not demand his own way. I mean, that gets pretty humbling. Well, that's true, but here, but let's take that verse and say... Okay, Alan is he's not angry. Alan is not as patient. Alan is kind. But let's say that you got into a situation where you were impatient and where where you were angry and where, that never where you happens. were jealous. Um, I'm joking. <laughs> what if you spend a lot of time in denial going I am not angry. I am not jealous. Well, I've I done am, that a few I times am being with you. Very You've told me right that. Now. Yeah. I am being very, very patient right now. I am so very patient right I now. Just hear. get it done and get this over with because I am my I am being very patient. All right, all right. Okay. Right. You're in denial when that happens. Yeah, because what do I do you're about not that? Accepting what really is going on inside of you. And when I when I don't accept what's going on inside of me, I am not valuing myself. Ah, that's good. So part of valuing myself is being honest with what is truly <laughs> going on inside so of me. So especially even the negative. I mean, it's even easy. The negative. It's easy to do the positive. It's a lot harder right. for me to accept that I could be critical, that I might be jealous, that I might have been angry, um, and not deny it. Right. So if I'm not. If I'm not honest with myself about what I deem negative emotions or negative thoughts or negative expectations, I'm not supposed to be feeling this way. Right. I'm not supposed to be wanting this. I'm not supposed to be expecting this. Then I'm not going to reveal that to you. Well, I think... Um Somebody has said that a lot of that comes from our shame and guilt from past hurts or whatever, and that's why we deny it. Right. So, you know, your child falls on a bike and falls on the ground and gets up and says, are you okay? 
you say, are you okay? And they go, I'm fine, I'm fine. But they're bleeding from their arm and, and their head is hurting. And, but they're wanting to be fine, but they're not fine. Right, right. So let's go on so with if I don't I, value myself. What happens if I don't value myself and I don't value you? How, how does the conversation go then? Well, if I don't value myself and I'm not honest with myself about what's going on inside of me, then I'm not going to be willing to let you in on what's going on inside of me. So I'm withholding the truth from myself and also withholding it from you. So intimacy would be rather difficult at that point. Right. So I can't value me and I can't value you at at that point. So one of the things you put in the book is – this is an illustration of this, I don't value myself and I don't value you. You're doing a lousy job. You should just quit (laughs) and go home. Of course, I'm not much help either. I make so many stupid mistakes. Why did the boss ever put the two of us together? Yeah. Why did the Lord even put the two of us together in a marriage? Because neither one of us is So our time is going quickly. So I want to get into I don't value myself and I value you. Right. So that puts me in a place where I'm going, you're so wonderful. You always do everything right, and I mess everything up. And so I start beating myself up. That's everything. the martyr and the poor me in it awful mode. Right. Everything is my fault. I, I did it all wrong. Please forgive me. This whole argument was my fault. I never should have said this. I never should right. have wanted And so here's this. what you say in our communication book. It's all my fault. Nothing ever that I do is any good. If it weren't for you, my life would be a shambles. You always do everything so well. I wish I could be more like you. Right. And the problem with that is it sounds so humble. Right. But inside that I know that there's something wrong. Hmm. I know that I wish I'm not going to verbalize I'm mm-hmm. not going to verbalize this but I wish he would apologize. Mm-hmm. I wish he would take responsibility for the fact that he did this and that's why I feel this way or he didn't do that and now I'm having to take all this responsibility on myself. But I'm so quick to say, I'm sorry, it was all my fault. I don't even give you the opportunity to take responsibility for your own part in it. Right. But if you would use your star and share in an I message how I feel, I think, I even share the negative. I feel very angry when at the end of our conversation, I don't hear you, not you don't. I don't hear you apologize. And it leaves me with a distaste in my mouth because I know it takes two of us to have an argument. And I feel, I think that I have given you an apology, but I don't hear you do that. And so it's like half a relationship. Right. So what happens by my saying it was all my fault, I think that I am actually valuing so you, I'm being yeah. so gracious, when in fact I'm not valuing enough 
to give you the opportunity to take responsibility for your part. I'm not trusting enough that our relationship can handle the truth. Okay, go on to the next one. So the next thing that happens is that I value myself, but I don't value you. So I take all the um, information that I have about what's happening and I just spew it out to you. Let me tell you what I think and what I feel and what's going on with me. And I don't give you a chance (laughs) to Mm -hmm. say what's happening with you. I I might shut you off or I might just say um, verbally, just go ahead and say what you're saying doesn't really matter. What's important is what I have to say. Or I might be very sarcastic or I might just clam up when it comes time for you to say what's going on with you. I can stonewall you and uh, turn away from you and not give you that opportunity to express what's going on inside of you. Okay, and the next one? Well, so the next one is that I value me and I value you. Ooh, that, we that are, sounds like a good one. <laughs> that what I have that to sounds say like God's is message to us. But what you have to say is also important. And even if what I'm saying is negative, I can say it in a way that still recognizes that you are valuable to God and that you have your reasons for doing things the way that you do and that we are both flawed and we both have our moments when we act in very human ways. And so um, if I allow you the space to do or say things that are negative and I allow myself that same grace that says, okay, I'm imperfect, but let me tell you what, how I am perceiving things and then also give you the opportunity to express what's going on inside of you. So I think a good review in valuing myself, here are the three things I will do. I'll get in touch with the entire Communistar, which if you haven't listened Go back to the podcast that talks about the Communistar or get our book, um, and it shows you the diagram, but it's what I feel, think, want, discern, do. Um, in, uh, then I accept responsibility for all parts of that star and the awareness of those feelings, thoughts, wants, etc. And I'm willing to disclose my Communistar to my partner. In devaluing myself, I disregard some of the parts of that star. I don't accept responsibility for the total range of thoughts and emotions and actions and desires uh, that whole star holds. With I withhold information regarding my communist star. In valuing others, I give my full attention to them. I actively listen. I'm looking at them. I'm not interrupting them. I allow them to take responsibility, even for their negative feelings. Sometimes people want to jump in and not have negative feelings. Yeah, like, no, 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 you shouldn't feel that way. Or right. so, But that devalues them and they don't like it. And then I don't withhold information regarding what's going on in my life to that person. I encourage them to share their awareness and I listen carefully and I express a general attitude of caring. I mean, there's a, an empathy for mm-hmm. that person. 
In devaluing, I insist on winning instead of just understanding. I don't give them my full attention. I'm in another room saying, I hear you, honey. Or I don't put down, you know, at the remote control or the game or whatever. I don't allow them to take responsibility for their thoughts, feelings, and desires. I try to solve all their problems and I express an uncaring attitude. And who wants to talk to somebody like that? (laughs) But all of us are guilty of that. That's the thing. Right. We all have our moments. So again, we're talking about communication in marriage. It's in the Marital Mystery Tour book. Uh, Go to our website, walkandtalk.org, if you want. Uh, We're talking about valuing. We've talked about a communistar to help you understand what's going on inside of you and also to be, it's a speaking tool as well as a listening tool. We've talked about closing the loop in the past podcast. And so we feel like we've done a pretty good job going over these kinds of communication. Um, And the next podcast, what we'd like to talk about is our communication with God and our communication with each other or how to pray in your marriage. But I'd like to go out, Paulie, with this scripture from Hebrews 12. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Working at a living in peace with everyone and work at a living and holy life For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright for his firstborn son for a single meal. So we don't want a root of bitterness to grow up. And to me, if we value each other, we won't let that happen. So keep walking your talk, and we'll see you next time. This has been Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller, where we put into action those principles we know from God's Word, one step at a time. You can find more help at our website, walkandtalk.org. be more than this all breath of God come breathe within
clothe us with power from on high. Now set the captives free. Leave us abandoned to your praise. Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor David Platt of Radical. Today's topic is God of the Impossible. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor David. 
Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does, you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Exodus chapter 2. It's the second book in the Bible, 23. The Bible says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. All right, let's pause here. We're going to take this one step at a time in your notes that hopefully you received when you came in today. So on the back of that bulletin, you can follow along. Let's meditate on Exodus 2 and 3. Not just read it. Let's soak in what it means. What is Exodus 2, 23 through 25 teaching us? Well, One, what we just read is teaching us that God sees his people suffering in a world of sin, of sin. We've talked about this a good bit the last few weeks between Job and Joseph. We've talked about God's sovereignty over our suffering. But don't miss the picture here. Just because God is sovereign over suffering and pain and hurt doesn't mean that God delights in suffering and pain and hurt. God hates sin and the effects of sin and suffering in the world. Picture Jesus when Lazarus has died and Mary and Martha are weeping. What does Jesus do? He weeps with them. The whole book of Lamentations is about the compassion of God for his people in pain and suffering. And the clear teaching of what we just read in Exodus is that God hears our cries and he knows our needs. And I know that around this room and at other campuses, I get the prayer requests that people turn in every single week of struggling lives and marriages and kids and families and work and health situations. I can't read and pray through those without my heart just aching for you. And my love for you, while I pray that it is strong as your pastor, is nowhere near God's love for you. Please know that amidst whatever you were walking through today or whatever you walk through in the future, God hears your cries and he knows your needs better than even you know them. When we get to Exodus 2 and we read this word, I just couldn't get past it in the Bible reading this week, groaning. I think that is an apt description of life in a sinful world. And I just want us to be careful, always careful as a church, never to give off some happy-go-lucky glib, giddy impression of Christianity. Never just to gather together, sing upbeat songs, hear some superficial message, walk away in a shallow facade of faith that pretends like everything is as it should be in a world of sin and suffering when it's not true. You look at the Psalms all throughout Scripture, you see songs of lament, you see cries of longing for hope in and beyond a world of sin and suffering, and that's just it. So yes, We acknowledge the reality of suffering and sin, but that doesn't mean then we're we're now some grim group just wallowing in suffering because we have a God who sees our suffering and he hears our cries. And keep going to that second truth in your notes. The God who sees is the God who saves. So let's read now the first part of Exodus chapter three. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. 
And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Are the bushes not burned? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Oh, see it. So here's the promise of God, the word of God. His people are in slavery, and God says, I am going to deliver them just like I promised I would do. Now, hold your place here and jump with me over to Exodus chapter six, just a few chapters later, where God says essentially the same thing. But I want you to feel the fullness of what God is promising here. Look at Exodus chapter six, verse five, where God says almost verbatim what we just read in Exodus chapter three. It says, moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant, my promise to them. And then starting in verse six, So I want you to underline or make a note or highlight every time you see God make a promise in the next three verses. So underline or highlight every time you see God say, I will do this or I will do that. In verse six, he says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Did you see that? Seven different times in three short verses, God says, I will bring you out, deliver you, redeem you, take you to be my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into a new land and I will give it to you. The God who sees is the God who saves. And just think about what God is promising to do here in Exodus 3 and 6. At least three things as I tried to summarize them in your notes there. One, he liberates. He delivers. See that word over and over again. He frees hundreds of thousands of people in slavery at this point in Exodus in the most powerful empire in the world. And God says, that's going to end just like that. You're going to walk out of there. I'm going to take you as my people. So God liberates. God adopts. The picture here is God's possession of his people as his family. I'm going to show that you are mine. God is saying this. God. God liberates. God adopts. Which means God provides. That's the whole picture with adoption. God says to his people, I take responsibility to provide you a land that is plentiful, that has all you need. Oh, see it. God doesn't just see our suffering. The God who sees is the God who saves. Now, 
You'll notice what we just read in Exodus chapter 6, in those last three verses, we read three times, God says, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. And you notice he set it up in verse 2 and 3 as well. And you'll notice Lord is in kind of all caps. Now that takes us back to Exodus chapter 3, so turn back there with me. You've got to see this. We're going to jump ahead a bit from where we left off, but look with me at Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. And in verse 13, Moses says, who will I tell them sent me? Now God's answer is our memory verse this week, Exodus 3, 14. So let's say it out loud together. It'll be up here on the screen, but don't look at it if you've memorized it. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Then you keep going to Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Whenever you read that in the Bible, you realize forever, all generations, that now includes you and me. So this is a massive moment in the Old Testament when God reveals himself to his people as Yahweh, a name based on the Hebrew verb for to be. God is the I am, the one who is. And when you think about this, this is awesome. This name is a reference to God's self-existence. God is. He has no origin outside of himself like we do. God's self-sufficiency. God is. He has no needs outside of himself like we do. God's eternality. God always has been, always is, and always will be. God's immutability. God is in such a way that he never changes or fluctuates like we do. And God's power over and above everything else that is. God is the I am. And this will become the most prevalent name for God throughout the rest of the Old Testament. It's used over 6,000 times just by way of comparison. That's three times as many as the more common name for God, Elohim in Hebrew, will be used. The point is, what we just read will become the steadfast confession in the Old Testament. God is the Lord. God is the self-existent, self-sufficient, everlasting, never-changing, all-powerful one who, don't forget the context, this God saves his people. He liberates them from slavery. He adopts them as his own, and he provides for all they need. God is the Lord. He is the I am. Now, we got to pause here for a minute because this is one of those places we just can't leave our reading in the Old Testament because remember, every story in Scripture is ultimately pointing us to Jesus. And this whole story in the Old Testament is preparing for the day when one will come into a world of sin and suffering and he will say, I have come to bring liberty to the captives. I have come to liberate men and women from slavery to sin. I have come to adopt men and women as children of God. I have come to provide eternal life for all who trust in me. I am the bread of life, he will say. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am, I am, I am, until one day when Jewish leaders are talking about Abraham, their father in the faith, and they ask Jesus who he is in John 8. Jesus replies in verse 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was even born, I am. And as soon as Jesus said that, 
You know what they tried to do to him? Tried to stone him. Think about why. If I come up and say, I am, you would look at me and say, you are weird. But when Jesus said it, everybody knew this man was claiming to be God. And this is the stunning realization in the New Testament. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And Jesus is able to set you free from your sin. So non-Christian friend or family member here today, please hear this good news. This is the greatest news in all the world. We have all sinned against God and we are all separated from God in our sin. And when we die, we deserve eternity separated from God in our sin. But God has not left us alone in this state. God has come to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus has lived a life of no sin. Jesus has died on a cross for our sin. And Jesus has risen from the dead in victory over sin. So that everyone, anyone who trusts in Jesus as Lord will be saved from all your sin. Hear this stunning realization in these words from Romans 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is what? Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Like you today, right where you're sitting, can be liberated, freed from the penalty and power and payment of sin, all your sin against God. You can be adopted as a son or daughter of God and provided with eternal life. In other words, God can do the impossible right where you are sitting right now. God can supernaturally right now save you from all your sin against him, give you new life in relationship with him that will last for all of eternity. If you will trust in Jesus as Lord, I urge you today, like right now, don't let another second go by. Trust in Jesus as Lord. I pray that even as I proclaim this in this moment, that just faith would rise. And some of you have been exploring Christianity, or maybe this is the first time you've ever been in church, and just your heart would be saying, yes, I want to trust in Jesus as Lord the savior of my sin. I want to be freed from my sin against God and adopted into the family of God and provided with eternal life like by faith, trusting in Jesus, Lord. That can be a reality in your heart right now. The God who sees is the God who saves. Now, you would think that'd be the end of the story, right? Like God saves, period. That's awesome. Let's call it a day. But there's more because the God who saves is the God who sins. Go back up with me in Exodus 3 to where we stopped earlier in verse 9 when God said, I'm going to deliver my people out of slavery. Now listen in verse 10 to how God is going to do that. God says, Moses, come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, this is where things took a very surprising turn for Moses. Should be pretty surprising to us. I mean, for anybody who's read this story before, you kind of know what's going to happen here. Moses is going to lead his people, God's people, out of slavery in Egypt. When you think about it, God didn't have to do it this way, right? I mean, God could have worked in a million other ways to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt. Instead, God comes to Moses, this man wandering around in Midian, and God says, I'm going to send you to Egypt, to bring my people out. And Moses is shocked. Listen to what he says in verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Translation, what are you thinking? Like, why me? What no one qualifies me to do this? And you put yourself in Moses' bare feet for a minute here. You'd be asking, I think, the same question. You're a random shepherd in a random field 
And you're not supposed to go to the most powerful ruler in the world and say, knock, knock, let your slaves go. Thank you. How's that possible? And here's the picture we're seeing here. We will see it all over the Bible. God calls weak people to accomplish world revolutionizing purposes. God calls weak people to accomplish world revolution purposes. Moses is near the beginning of a long line of weak people in the Old Testament, including a fright farmer named Gideon, a shepherd boy named David, a prostitute named Rahab, and a Moabite named Ruth. And not just in the Old Testament. When Jesus died on the cross and rises from the grave, he looks at a group of frightened women and ragtag fishermen, and he says, I'm entrusting you with a mission to make disciples in every nation on the planet. Apparently, God is in the business of calling people to do that which they could never do on their own. Apparently, God is in the business of calling people to do the impossible. Let me ask you a question. So like, bring this down to your life. Do you ever feel like you're in over your head? I sure do. So do you ever think in your life, I can't do this, as a single, in marriage, in parenting, grandparenting, maybe at work, maybe your financial situation, maybe you get that diagnosis from that doctor and you think, I can't do this. How am I going to do this? The God who sees is the God who saves, and the God who saves is the God who sins, who puts you and me in situations where we cannot do what he is calling us to do on our own. And in those situations, so follow this, God who sins is the God who supplies. So I love what God says to Moses next. Well, first notice what God doesn't say to Moses. Moses asks, who am I that I should do this? What God doesn't say is, well, bro, you were trained in Pharaoh's court. You've learned a lot of good wilderness skills out here in the open. You're Egyptian enough to talk to the Egyptians. You're Hebrew enough to talk to the Hebrews. When it comes down to it, you're the best shot we've got. No, now many of those things were true about Moses' background and how God had sovereignly prepared him for this, but that is not what God said in response to Moses. God said, verse 12, I will be with you. Don't miss this. The point was not that Moses was qualified. The point was not even who Moses was. The point was who God was, the one who is. So when Moses says, I can't do this, God says, you're not gonna do this, I am. I will be with you. I will make this happen. God says, I will do in you what you could never do on your own. And this, ladies and gentlemen, this, I am convinced, is a summary of the Christian life. Please hear this loud and clear. The life God calls you to live is impossible by yourself. The life God calls you to live is impossible by yourself. And I'm not just talking change the world here. I'm talking every detail of your life. So single brother or sister, you cannot live the joyful, content, satisfied, single-minded life that honors God in all your relationships by yourself. Husband, you can't be the man your wife needs you to be by yourself. Wife, you cannot be the woman your husband needs you to be by yourself. Parents, you can't do this by yourself. Students, you can't do this by yourself. Not one of us in this room can think and desire and live in all the roles and all the ways God has called us to live in his word. Not one of us can live with purity before God, compassion for others. Not one of us can face all the trials and overall come all the temptations we face by ourselves. Every facet of the life 
God has called us to live. Every single thing God calls us to do is impossible by ourselves. But here's the beauty. The life God calls you to live is absolutely possible by the power of God's presence with you. I will be with you, God tells Moses. Trust me to do in you what you could never do on your own. And I wrote better put here in your notes because the reality is this truth only gets better the further you get in the Bible. So over and over again in the Old Testament, we'll read it. God promises his people he will be with them. And we'll see that same promise in the New Testament, but it takes on whole new meaning there because when Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, rises from the grave, ascends into heaven, Jesus pours out his spirit on all who trust in him. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've trusted in Jesus as Lord. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit of God now dwells in you, which means the life God calls you to live is absolutely possible by the power of God's presence with you, or better put, by the power of God's spirit in you. To all who trusted in Jesus as Lord, God and his spirit dwells inside of you. So look at your life then and apply these truths. Like we talk about application in terms of our head, our heart, our hands. So in your head, I exhort you today based on the word of God, believe all that God says. One, about who you are. About who you are. You are a sinner personally loved by God and constantly in need of grace. That's who you are. Believe God's word. His love for you Believe that God sees you and God saves you. For all who trust in Jesus as Lord, God is your liberator. He has freed you from the penalty and power of sin. God is your father. He has adopted you as his child. Feel that today. You are a child of God. And God is your provider. God is committed to providing every single thing you need. And you need his grace at every moment. You cannot do anything God has called you to do right now. People say Christianity is for the weak. Reality is Christianity is for the wise who realize who we are in our weakness and who realize who God is in his strength. So put down your pride. Put aside the self-exaltation we so prize in this culture and even this city. Put it aside. Live for God exaltation. Stop trying to do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. See your need for God's grace and see God's willingness to give grace in abundance to you. Lift your eyes from a natural plane to a supernatural plane. Lift your eyes and believe all God says, not just about who you are, but about who he is. He is the self-existent, self-sufficient, everlasting, never-changing, all-powerful, always-faithful God who is, catch this, he is with you, he is for you, and he is in you. Just let that soak in. <laughs> like God. I'm reading about Moses meeting with God in a burning bush, and then it was like, just all of a sudden hit me in a fresh way, like the same God, the Lord that I am, that Moses was talking with here, I'm talking with right now in this room. Like, same God. He's with me. He's with you. <laughs> God is with you. And God is for you. God is for you. He's not against you. He's for you. He's for you. And he is in you. Just let that soak in. Like, as a single parent, God is with you. He is for you. And he is in you. I just want to encourage you to that today. With that special need in your life or your family, God is with you, for you, in you.
And that struggling marriage, you can't do it on your own. But God is with you. He's for you. He's in you. And whatever struggle, I see so many people trying to fix so many things, relationships, situations on your own. Don't do it. Turn to God. Lift your eyes and look to God. Ask and trust God to do what only He can do. He's the God who promises to be with you, for you, and in you. Trying to do things your own way in your own strength. Do things God's way with God's strength, which leads to the second application. In your heart, desire all that God desires for your life. Oh, hear God saying in His Word, like on your own, in your home, in your work, in your school, in your relationships, with your health, with your finances, in your future, even in the middle of a world of suffering, God has so many good desires for your life, far beyond what you can fathom. Put yourself in Moses' place. God is saying, I want to do so much in you that is so far beyond you. I plead with you. I urge you, like, don't settle for this world's desires for you. Don't, don't settle for anything less than God's desires for your life. It's so much better than anything this world is offering you. So desire all that God desires for your life and desire all that God desires in this world. Like, go back to weak people and world-revolutionizing purposes. And this can be on a big scale. Like, oh, as I was praying through this this week, just think of it, brothers and sisters. Like, God has entrusted so much to us 10,000 people, one of the wealthiest places in the entire world, this global city, God has entrusted so much by his grace to us. There is so much we can do together by his spirit at work in this city. God desires his grace, his glory to be made known across. We have so much opportunity to make a massive impact for the glory of our God. So in faith, let's desire all that God desires to use us to do in this world. Well, let's not just kind of coast through a routine of just Coming to church, kind of, this is what we do. Like, no, we are created for something so much more. God uses weak people to accomplish world revolutionizing purposes. And then think on smaller levels. So don't underestimate the opportunities to change people's worlds around you. In light of that family member or friend with special needs, in light of that coworker or neighbor going through hard struggle, just think simply. Imagine sharing the gospel this week with a coworker, neighbor, friend saved from sin for all of eternity for the next 10 trillion years and beyond. That's world changing for them. And God is sending you to do that work this week. That's awesome. Don't miss this desire, all that God desires in your life, in this world. So do it. At least the last application with your hands. Do all that God calls you to do. One of my constant prayers over the last few weeks, it so stuck out to me when we were reading Genesis 7, Verse five, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. And I just, I just been praying the last few weeks, God, I, I want to do all that you command me to do. Like, I don't want to do anything less than all you command me to do. And we saw it again in Exodus 7, 6 this week. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. Like, don't you want that? Like, I just think in my life, my home, my work in this world, like, I, I want to do all that you call me to do. I, like, I want to go back to my eighth grade self and I want to take God and his word and do all that he calls me to do. What he's calling me to do is he's calling me to do. And this is what I love about verse 12 in Exodus 3. So we'll close here. Sorry, we don't have time to get to the whole chapter, but watch this. Moses says, who am I? God says, it's not about who you are. I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. So Moses is thinking, okay, what's the sign that God has sent me? 
And God says, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, if I'm Moses at that moment, I'm a little disappointed with the sign, right? Because when you're looking for a sign, you're actually looking for something in advance to give you assurance of what you're about to do, right? Like, give me a sign. Ah, I see it. Okay, I'll go. But here, the sign won't actually come until after Moses does what God is telling him to do. And God gives some other signs in Exodus 4, but here all God does, follow this, all God does is he gives Moses a promise. He says, you will serve me here in this place as a free people. And God says, Moses, trust me to be faithful to that promise. So here's my challenge to you today, to every single one of you right where you're sitting, like, I challenge you to do all that God is calling you to do. All of it, whether it's obeying that impossible command, whether it's loving that impossible person, embracing that impossible trial, pursuing that impossible dream, or taking that impossible step, do all that God is calling you to do in total dependence on all God has promised he will do. And as you do, know this. God will deliver on his promises every single time. You know how I know that? Because he is the Lord, the God of the impossible. So here's what I want to invite you to do. Here, like for the next couple minutes, what I don't want to do is just kind of let this word come to us and not pause and respond to God in each of our lives. So for the next couple of minutes, I just want to invite you. There's space at the bottom of the notes there. If you don't have notes, you anything to write on or just pull out a device, I just want to invite you to write out prayer to God. So this is what we talk about, maps, M-A-P-S, really get out of the Bible, meditate, apply, pray. And so I just want to, like, remember P-R-A-Y, was it an acrostic we used there? So based on what we just saw, how might you just praise God, P. Right? Maybe you just need to spend time praising God. Or maybe R, repent. Maybe there's some things you need to repent of. Confess your need for God in this way or that way. A, ask to ask God for help in this or that. Like in the first gathering, like that's all I was doing. Like just ask God, I need your help in this. I need your help in that. Why yield? God, I just want to trust in you. So I don't know. I just pray that God would take this word and just apply it to thousands of hearts and God is speaking to you, I hope, right now. And I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to him. For the next couple of minutes, just in quietness, I want to invite you to do that. Maybe some of you in this couple of minutes, like, just pray and I need you to forgive me of my sins. I want to trust in Jesus as the Lord of my life, Savior of my sins. Like, I invite you to pray that now. You feel free to continue praying just individually. I'm going to pray for us together. Oh God, even now I'm reminded that prayer in and of itself is a posture of humility. You are God and we are not. We need you. We need your grace. We need your wisdom. We need your strength. We need your help. We need your guidance. We need your provision. And God, we praise you for your faithfulness to provide all these things. So we pray. We pray that you'd help us to be a people who take you at your word. Help us to trust your wisdom above ours. Help us to trust your ways above ours. Help us to 
Trust your plans above our plans. and Live for your purposes above our purposes. We, we praise you for saving us, for freeing us, for liberating us, for adopting us, for providing for us. We praise you, Jesus, as the way, the truth, and the life. We praise you for the eternal life we have in you. So keep our eyes, we pray, amidst every facet of our lives. Keep our eyes fixed on you, we pray. Lift our eyes from a natural plane to a supernatural plane. Help us to see who you are, to worship you for who you are, and to surrender our lives totally to you. Do all that you desire to do in and through us, we pray. For your glory and we trust for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.
Like the voice of one crying in the wilderness makes straight the way of the Lord, Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries is looking for those who will partner with us in this ministry of making a path straight for the Lord directly to the hearts of listeners. If you would like to partner with us to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and deliver the saving grace of our Lord to others through volunteering, through prayer, and through donations, please call us at 602-866-8999. That's 602-866-8999. Coming up next is, It's Time to Pray the Bible. Hello, my name is Dara Joy. I'm the host of this program. It's time to pray the Bible. Today's first scripture reading is from Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, 12 and 13. Therefore, We have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The second scripture reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you are living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. The last scripture reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. So, as those who have been chosen of God, 
holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The Greek word for chosen is eklektos, which means elect, select, set apart, and chosen out of a personal choice, preference, and intention. Let's praise God for making us fully alive with Him by His Spirit and the truth as His chosen generation. Jesus, we give you the highest praise. You destroy death, the powers of darkness, and every work of the enemy on the cross. Through your precious blood, through our union with you, we were buried with you into your death. And we were raised with you when we believed in your resurrection power. Since our old self was nailed to the cross with you, we are no longer slaves to sin. By the power of your unblemished blood, our entire record of sin has been completely erased, and we are totally set free from the power of sin. In your rich compassion and mercy, you raised us up into your very life and seated us with you into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm where you're seated at the right hand of God. Father, we desire to live for your glory and passionately answer your call to offer ourselves to be used for your noble purpose, divine justice, and abundant goodness in this world. Since we have been raised to new life, empower us to set our hearts and minds to constantly feast on all the treasures and thoughts of the heavenly realities. Jesus, fill us with holy passion to live in our heavenly identity as your beloved, who have died to every form of sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, and eliminate anger, rage, malice, slander, and abusive speech from our lives. By your divine power, you gave us everything we need for living a godly life in order to clothe us with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Father, fill us with a perfect knowledge of your desire and perfect will over our lives in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We long to walk in the ways of true righteousness and justice, pleasing you through bearing abundant fruit of the Spirit in everything we do, yielding to your life and maturing in the rich experience of knowing you in your fullness. Fill us with all your explosive power from the realm of your magnificent glory and great hope. Our hearts soar with joyful gratitude 
when we think of how you made us worthy to freely receive the glorious inheritance in your eternal grace. Lord, we'll run with passion into your abundance so that we may reach the purpose you have called us to fulfill and want us to discover. We do have one compelling focus, to forget all of the past and reach toward the future instead. We press on to reach the end of the race for the divine invitation of reaching the goal and receiving the heavenly prize in you. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.